You're listening to the One-Eyed Man podcast. I am Mike Stopforth, your host, and today I am talking to Neo Moleko and Brad Simons from Monaco Coffee. If you haven't heard of Monaco Coffee, you've been living under a rock. This is the second episode in our original by tradition entrepreneurship series brought to you, of course, by the Glen Livet. Now, what would make a couple of old school friends start a new coffee brand when the likes of Seattle, Vida, and even international brands like Starbucks exist as competition already? Well, these two guys will tell you that it's a firm belief that African innovation and originality can bring something really unique, something fresh to even the most crowded industries or sectors. The Monarca story really is one of hope. And that's my wish for you today as you listen to this show. Uh, we could all use a ray of optimism, a sense of possibility, if you like. And so without any further ado, the Monarca team. Yeah, so Neo, maybe we could uh, start with you. For people who are not familiar with the Monarca brand, and I'm actually sitting here with a, a cup of fats and bones blend out of my machine at home as we speak. Um, so I'm, I'm clearly a fan. But for people who aren't familiar with the brand and the brand journey, can you tell us a little bit about how it came about and, and what, I guess, inspired you to start a coffee brand? It was very, very simple. Um, myself and Brad have, have been friends now since 98. You know, we met back at school, in high school. We went to the same school, King Edward and Houghton, um, okay. raised by my, my condolences. Yeah, and 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 um, our friendship has always been around. Um, when Brad went over to South Korea, he kept in touch with myself. Uh, at the time, I was involved in, in, in another business of my own, which um, is in the personnel space, right? So personnel development, recruitment, placements, the traditional recruitment and placements with a touch of consulting. And in 2015, I think it was late on in the year of 2015, Brad had had a very great experience with coffee, having traveled around the world as he was, you know, in, in South Korea. And he shared this experience with me and, you know, just telling me, listen, I've, I've tasted this wonderful coffee. And, you know, I really think, you know, there's a market in South Africa. Um, and just, you know, just really bouncing off his thoughts. You know, what do you think? You know, I'm thinking of starting this, this coffee business. And, and I was at the time, I was like, listen, you know, go for it, right? Whatever exposure that you've had, go for it. Um, see how it works. And if, if it doesn't, if it doesn't fly, it's, it's a great lesson. You know what I'm saying? I mean, because that's what the mm -hmm. is full of. And uh, early in 2016, Brad embarked on um, starting a business called Fats and Bones. Fats being the nickname that uh, <laughs> I gave him in Standard 6. Um, you know, Standard 6, we're all coming with baby fat from Standard 5. Yeah, and at the time, um, another you know friend of ours um, was was involved in in, uh, in the inception of the business, and so the business was was then called Fats and Bones at the beginning. I think mm -hmm. my months may not be accurate, but maybe about three to six months later, um, at the time I had requested that Brad actually roast me some beans. Now coming back from you know growing up in Soweto and and having kind of sold. A few items now and then, um, and actually whiskey being one of them. Um, you know, I said to myself, "Listen, dude, roast me some beans. I want to actually go and look at the uh, uh, the emerging market. So this really being townships, you know, uh, black market essentially. And I want to just basically see how this works. 
And I also thought, you know, with, with my exposure to some of the corporates, my clients in, in the recruitment space, you know, maybe there could be a discussion had there. Anyway, mm, mm. that ran for about three months. And in that three months, I mean, a lot of strategic discussions were had between myself, Brad, and, and then our former partner. And a quick decision was made that, listen, it actually doesn't make sense for us to be running parallel with the same product um, in a country that we, you know, that we in. Why don't we use, you know, advantages and some of our disadvantages, you know, to, to kind of like strengthen the business. And that's mm-hmm. where, um, you know, we came with the decision of, you know, rebranding and starting the business called Manaka, right? And Manaka is basically a Sutu word just describing horns. It could be horns of, of various animals. But in this case, what was developed and, and designed was, you know, horns of, of a bull. So my interest getting into the business um, and starting it off with Manaka was really purely from exposing people that I know that I had access to, to what we kind of did not understand and the levels of coffee. So I grew up, I'm a traditional red coffee and, you know, your chicory labels. And I felt, you know what, here's another angle where I can expose people that are either following me or my friends or family. And there's a business opportunity. And, and that's how I got into the mm. business. That's, that's how I got exposed to to coffee. So at this level of beans, espressos, cappuccinos, flat whites, and all, and all the fancy stuff around coffee, this for me has been a what, five years now, five-year journey. And there's a whole lot of learning to do. And there's still a whole lot of learning for you know our customers. And, and that's why that's what really pulled me in. And you know, there's money to be made. But I think also just exposing people to to what's out there was 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 part of the you know the journey. Uh, with a background of personnel and, and consulting and, and somewhat training, which is really a core of teaching, you know, that, that, that to me kind of like, it was really like, look, now th- th- there's a product, there's, there's, there's a space, there's an opportunity here for people to learn. Yes. And overlaid with the fact that you can actually create opportunities for employment, right? Yes. A country that we yes. live in, a business like ours, um, you know, relies a lot on, 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 on personnel, on staff. So that insight, I think, is a, is a critical insight that I really want to dig into because I think that's going to be a key part of, of a lot of our discussion. But Brad, I mean, the first time we met, I was buying a coffee machine for my yeah. previous business, Cerebra. And today, if I want to go visit Monaco, there's, a, there's this beautiful flagship store literally within walking distance of my house at Polo Fields, which could easily hold its own against like the, the premium coffee houses around the world. Yeah. But, it, you know, people often forget that they, they experience the brand like that, but it didn't start that way. So talk me yeah. through kind of the various stages and evolutions of the business, because the, the, the version we see now, I guess, is we sometimes don't appreciate the hard yards that went into making that yeah. a possibility. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's so accurate what you just said there. But I think the key, the key word there is um, you said around the world. Okay, so... It's a big part of our inspiration, right? Uh, so I, I land up going overseas. I, I was in that. I was in the the design and uh, and marketing space, studied mm-hmm. at Vega, etc. You know, I worked through the industry for a while. Not, I mean, not excelling, you know, to the maximum, but I knew what I was doing. But I just got tired of it. Yeah. Decided to go travel, and I landed up. Long story short, I landed up living in South Korea. Now. I live across the road and I, I literally mean no more than 10 meters away from a coffee roastery. Uh, I kind of had it in my mind that I was going to go out there 
and, and find a product that I could come back with because I didn't make a very good employee. Okay. I, I, I'm not like I, I had a, a seven month itch. I hear you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not, a, not a great employee. I like to move around. I, I went back and forth to jobs before and I just couldn't really settle. So now I was looking for something. I, I knew I wanted to start my own business. No clue on what, you know, what that actually means. But the thing that I noticed uh, when I came back to South Africa after experiencing, like I had a cup of coffee in Korea. I remember the cup and it's a Ethiopian Sidamu too. That was the bean. And I, and I drank it and I was like, what is this? I literally said to the guy, what is this? Okay. And he spoke me through it and started teaching me a little bit about speciality coffee and then the roasting. And I was there for the best part of four years. That's where I learned to do that. I went then and I did a barista's course. Uh, I really got into coffee and I was like, man, this is cool. But I still wasn't 100% sure on, you know, is that the thing I'm taking back? But it was in the back of my mind. And it was pretty much like the morning after well, the one or two mornings since I got back to Joburg and I woke up and I couldn't find the coffee I was looking for. You know, I was used to this certain level of coffee and mm, mm. couldn't really find it. I had to travel, literally travel 20 kilometers to go and find a place that was, you know, doing something in that sort of space. And I mean, there was a 20 kilometer gap in the market, you know, that I, <laughs> that I could see. Sure. Yeah. And um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's in your mind. I mean, starting a business is very sort of romanticized, you know, yeah, I'm going to start this business and you're going to be your own boss and you're going to do your own things. And it's, I mean, as you know, and a lot of people <laughs> that have ever tried know that it's, it's everything but romantic, you know? Um, mm, and mm. yeah, so I started a, a friend of mine at the time. Uh, I told him this is what I wanted to do. And he said, okay, cool. Let's do it together. He was, he's, he was running a successful business at the time. And he was, you know, he was going to give me the ins and outs of how to do it. Um, we started the Fats and Bones. And I believe yes. first, yeah, Fats and Bones was the brand that actually went into Base 2. Uh, when Base okay. Two, yeah. okay. So that was the connection to Wonderman, which, you know, later on landed up me selling Got the, you. a coffee machine. Um, Got you, yeah. Unfortunately, there was a fallout with, uh, with the partner. But before that, we, you know, as Nero had mentioned, you know, we got, we got to a point where it was like, listen, we're running these two parallel brands. Uh, we were basically just, uh, we'd rebranded the, the current fats and bones offering as uh, it was called Stimela, um, which Nero was running. And it just made sense, you know, to put everything together. I mean, whether Nero knows it or not, you know, earlier on in those earlier conversations, I'd already picked him as somebody that, you know, that was most, most likely going to get involved with the brand. So, that was why I let the brands run together, see how that goes, and then, you know, put them together if, if need be. Mm, Another mm. important, you know, factor in that was that uh, Neo had met a guy who's another partner in the business, uh, Pumlani, who, who's a coffee roaster. Okay. And we, at the time, we started having trouble with our coffee roaster. We couldn't get the consistency in the blend that we created. And um, mm. we really needed, we needed somebody that could, you know, do better. So it all sort of in sequence landed up. Pumlani involved, now involved, myself involved. Uh, like I said, the other partner, yeah, unfortunately, we had a fallout. Um, and we, we decided to, you know, rebrand as Monaka. And from there was the first steps of the brand as you know it today. Um, so, yeah. so what's, yeah, sorry, Brad, I just wanted to ask for some clarification yeah. there because I think there's a really important lesson that I just want to extract out of there quickly. You, you'd always had the vision of... I guess this kind of array of beautiful stores that were supplying world-class coffee where you comp you controlled the supply chain 
And a lot of people have that kind of vision and a really good idea for a business, well, regardless of what it is, right? Like in your case, a coffee shop, but it could be anything. But I think what you guys realized early on is that you had to do different things to make that thing a possibility. The ideal version of that wasn't going to be possible immediately, right? So there was an element of wholesale and you know, there were different things that you were doing to build up, I guess, the momentum to get that first store open. Is, is, that, sure. is that correct in saying? Absolutely. Sorry, just to go back, like when I started the, the last conversation, that world, you know, being worldly or, or, or yeah. being able to world class, on, uh, uh, yes, on a world-class stage, that has always been the, the goal. Um, like you said, mm. if you go to mm. that store, we've always had something to compare it to, you know, through the experiences that we've had. Myself, Neo and Kumlani went to Korea and Japan in 2019. Just, and I mean, a big part of that, there was other reasons for that we went, but a big part of that was so that I could show what's going on in my mind. You know, guys, this is where, this is where I'm living, you know, in terms experience of the vision. Brand, yeah. Come and experience this so that, so that, I mean, if the three of us are, are thinking the same thing, it's going to be far more powerful than just me trying to say, no, it's got to be like this, got to be like this, got to be like this. Sure. And then, sure. And what, once we opened that shop here, uh, the waterfall, uh, the polo field shop, so often, and it's just, it's quite funny how the sort of universe gives back some sort of feedback as to that you're on the right path. It's like people call it world-class all the time. They they say this, I've traveled the world, and this is as good as any cafe I've ever been in. You know, like we hear mm-hmm. that stuff a lot. And that's sort of that, uh, that you know, okay, we're doing this right sort of moment. Yeah, that reassurance. But it started off, I mean, the big part of our business was, was corporates. All we yes. had, we didn't have yes. a shop, we didn't have money. I spent 5,000 Rand to get the first blend made, that first fats and bones blend. The rest of my money was yes. on me living, you know. Uh, didn't take a salary until probably somewhere in the second year. And it was just wholesale. It was us selling to corporates like yourselves uh, and started that supply, supply, supply. And yeah, yeah. That, that, that was a huge core, you know, piece of our business. I'd say it made up probably 65 to 70% of the business until 2019 when COVID came and just wiped us out. Mm. Um, mm. There were some strategies that, that had taken place before that. I mean, oh, because we've only got 40 minutes, I'll speed the process up. But we, we started with the wholesale. Um, we identified the, 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 the fact that we're going to need a, a space for people to experience the brand, to experience the coffee, because we found that yeah. when people had tried it, there was always repeat business on our online platform, okay? And it was very difficult to get first-time buyers online. But mm, once mm, they were experienced, yeah. once they tasted it, a lot, and even still today, a lot of the, the, the stuff is, 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 you know, the second time somebody's buying beans, for example. Got you, um, got you. We then approached who's now also a partner, <laughs> uh, uh, Alex from, from Jameli. Um, mm. And we'd, gone, we'd had our, our coffee in his restaurant for a couple of months, and I'd gone to him and said, listen, is there perhaps somebody here that you know that could help us with some money because we need to build our own roastery and our own space? Yeah. From there, you know, the kind of, there's some more, obviously some more story as to where we are now. But that was the big jump, was, was getting the investment, uh, you know, and, and then, you know, making good on it. So now as a, as a customer and a fan of the brand, my, you know, my experience of it for a while was, 
you know, as Brad alluded to, ordering my favorite blend online and trying the Nguni blend and then trying, you know, I'm a fats and bones guy, but I you yeah. know, I'd branch out every now and again. Sure. And imagine my joy then to see the first four-court store opening again, literally within a walking distance of my door. And then before I knew it, I would bump into Brad on the odd occasion at the Sassel across the road. And he was telling me, watch the space because things are happening. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, bud. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, because everybody's got a big idea, right? And right. before I knew it, you guys had stores everywhere. So talk to me about, because kind of there was a sense that it just went, talk to me first of all about opening up that first real like retail uh, space and, and what you learned around that. Tell me a little bit about why you picked this part of the world, that sort of waterfall mid-rand area, and maybe fill us in on what's happened since then. Sure. So I look, I think in terms of picking the area, our, our decisions, our actions, the energy that we put into, into the business kind of attracted the right energy. And by that, I mean... You know, we were actually identified by customers, right? Um, our first real space that we didn't intend to make a retail front was actually the, the roastery that we then uh, opened after we, we agreed with, with Alex Hojani to you know, yes, partner. Yes. And that wasn't Bryanston. And yes. although it, we didn't have the intention of having, you know, kind of a retail front, the space was there. The possibilities, and we said, look, if, if, if it does happen that customers come through, let at least look, you know, look of the level that we'd like. Um, we had customers that actually popped in, and those customers today, for the last time, you know, became our, our new set of partners, right? And mm, mm. those set of partners, you know, came with an offering that made strategic sense and was in line with the vision that we originally had. Yes. At key times in the journey, even when, when, when Alex became partner, you know, the, the biggest thing was, you know, what do we see for the business? What does the person that wants to be involved you know, mm. want to do with the business? And, and, and ultimately, it was to be the most loved coffee business in the world. Now, when we had live on vision there, it made pure sense. And, and when they then expressed the sort of rollout strat in a way that was in line with our vision, it was just an easy decision to make. And that's how we led it up in sure. the space of Waterfall. We didn't really have much choice in terms of the Sassol and the design at the time, but, it, you know, we speak a lot about energy and the universe, but, you know, it just so happened that the space that they had already built was really in line with, with our colors, with, with our ambience, maybe just one or two or a couple of percentage that was offline, but it just, it, we just kind of like fitted there as if we were in the original plans. And, and when we opened it yeah. on Waterfall Road, um, you know, things fell into place. Um, obviously, we had to execute other elements of the business, which is, you know, look and feel sure. the staff that we get there, the level of training. So everything came in at the right time with the right energy. Not exactly at the right time. They gave us three weeks to set it oh, up. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. so we thought, like, listen, we've got this, we've got this uh, Sassel and we need a coffee outfit for it. We love you guys. Can you go? Yeah. Would you like to come in here? And we we're like, absolutely. Okay, cool. The yeah, that right. sounds like a great idea. <laughs> yeah, 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 true. Oh, my word. True. So you had to do design, shop fitting, machinery, training, so basically machinery, within three Machinery, weeks. training, and design of sort of the, the elements, not, not exactly the actual architecture, Nothing. but in three weeks. And we, and we did it. Eh? Yeah. Trained the guys as Jesus. well, very short term. Um, They're still the same baristas today that are working there. I think it's what two and a half years. Yeah, I recognize the yeah, guys. Yeah, I know them well now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that's really part of it as well. I mean, you talk about the experience that you have when you walk into our, our stores, and 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 it's very easy for us to have a beautiful brand that's appealing to the eye. 
you know, to, to be in a, in a slightly well-deserved position of, of being able to, you know, have the right architecture and ambience and, you know, those things cost, right? And if we can't complement it with, with the skill set, with the staff that, that stand behind and actually engage you and, and kind of pick your brain in terms of, you know, mm. having the next coffee and if we can't match it, then it's, it's not going to be world-class. It'll look beautiful, mm. but it just won't be world-class. And that's one element that we've taken extremely seriously. And then you've heard it with many businesses across the world. You know, your, your staff yep. are yep. a very key part of the business. And, and, and I think we, we can pat ourselves. And, you know, we've done fairly well. There's, there's times where, obviously, you can never really get 100% with staff. We're human beings, right? You're dealing with a very, sure. you know, that, 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 that goalpost always moves with a human <laughs> being. But how we adapt to it, I think we've done fairly well. And we've spoken about world class. Now... When you're dealing with human beings, it's it's so key to if you have an ambition of being world class, they obviously have to you know feel that way as well. And if they align with that vision, yes, if they understand yeah. how important their role is in the business, you've kind mm. of won half the battle because a lot of the staff that don't really give it their all, they don't really think that they're that key in the business. And this really comes from I'm talking from your scholar roles, you know, your scholar guys that are you know in the kitchen, really just. Focusing on getting the cleanest, most cleanest, yeah, pristine knives and forks, right through to the guys that you know get the glory, the baristas in front, you know, the guys that, that have the product knowledge. And we think we've done well in making them realize how important and how each component of the business works together, from your waiters to your baristas to your scholars and your and, and your chefs. All right, a quick break and play. I hope you're enjoying the show and I hope you're enjoying our Glenlivet Original Bike Tradition series. A wise man once said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. For me, this is what being the original is really all about. It's a mindset. It's forward looking. It's progressive. It's about not backing down to conformity or accepting mediocrity. It's about questioning norms, breaking assumptions. It's in the way that we combine resources creatively and use our talents in ways other people hadn't imagined. Ultimately, originality is really about people who are determined to do things on their own terms, redefining the way that we think about things like culture and success and achievement in the process. Originality is all about how we draw on our roots and show up winning again and again and again. A big thank you again from me to the team at Glenlivet for making these conversations possible. If you're enjoying the show as much as I'm enjoying recording it, please don't hesitate to share it with your network. And now, back to the podcast. So one of my favorite Joburg restaurants historically, um, when, I, when I first moved to the north of Johannesburg out of the east, which was a culture shock of note for me, but my uh, weekly hangout, my favorite local was Polpetta um, and the old Polpetta, 90 degrees on Rivonia, Ivano, who many people obviously knew from that restaurant because it was one of those places that was kind of small and felt a little bit European and was always noisy and there's a bunch of people coming in and out for takeaways. But the thing that always struck me about that store was how happy the wait staff seemed. And I was like, that's a new experience for me. In South Africa, like generally speaking, people 
in that kind of category of work are, are almost always treated like a commodity. You know, mm-hmm. companies are like, don't worry, there'll always be more waiters, waitresses, baristas, whatever it might be. You guys seem to have understood that those people are as much of the monarch experience as the product is, right? Like the people are, are mm-hmm. critical to that. And the difference it makes when you are part of a, a culinary experience where the, the staff actually enjoy themselves and are happy and are energized and want to be there. Like it tastes different. It literally physically tastes different. So Brad, I mean, this must be a big thing for you guys. You, you're scaling up, you're now, you know, since that first four court experience opened up, you've obviously rolled out a number of those. And now that the flagship store, how do you as a business think about quality control and people and equipping people with that vision, you know, and that excitement that now is obviously alluded to, like talk us through some of the things that you guys do to make that a possibility. So, yeah, obviously that is the biggest challenge that I think any business that's growing, uh, especially when it comes to you're creating a product that's not made from a factory, you know, you're creating sure, a product that sure. includes experience, it includes service, it includes a whole lot of things. The first thing that we've done is, is taken time to create proper systems. Okay. Because once, you know, once you've got that system standardized, and that's, I'm talking about the way that the baristas are trained, the way that the chefs are, yeah. you know, are trained, the way that we run the store, the way that the books are done, etc. Those systems have all been, you know, a real priority so that we can, we can get it down into a manual. Once you've got, once you've got that manual, which is what we've got, I mean, we've got the training manuals, we've got the, the, the system manuals that are, that are just about complete because obviously that manual had to be edited now with this new, uh, type of shop that we've opened that includes food. Of the, course, the eatery, of course, yes. what, I, what I like to call it, the cafe. Mm. The most important thing after that is having the right people, because you can you can teach those things, and we've seen it. We must have trained close to a hundred people yeah. by now, you know, in terms mm. as baristas. But we've only ever seen, let's say, thirty really excel. Yeah. And mm. in those thirty, there, there seems to be a, a common trait. The one is the, the, the willingness to learn, but that comes with a certain level of humility. Let me tell you mm-hmm. that like, the more humble people that come in, and, and, and I'm talking about guys that were so shy, okay, that they couldn't, couldn't even have the interview, you know, have really excelled as a barista because of their willingness to be, to be taught to yeah. learn. So a complete lack of entitlement, basically, and, and, a, and a real desire Absolutely. to, yeah, and, a real desire to gain and, a new and, skill. And, and yeah. completely the opposite for the ones that haven't been successful. Um, of course, yeah. And, and that comes to, I mean, this is where I've got to give now all the props on that. I mean, it's, a, it's such a massive part of the business. And, and this, I mean, if anybody's listening out there and everybody wants to know whether, um, you, know, you know, what are the keys to success? And that is get the right people to find the right staff because you will, you will hmm. burn yourself so many times. Like I've learned, I mean, I've had people that I loved that have been completely different people, you know, uh, three months down the line. So yeah, the, the, the rollouts, I mean, we've got the look and feel, right? We've got the brand. The brand has always been the thing that I, I, I always tell people, I'm not a restauranteur. I, I love building the brand. That's for me. I want to get the brand hmm. out there. And, and we're literally building the biggest coffee company in the world. And we've said that from mm. day one. And I want to see if we can do it. <laughs> do you know, like, why not? Like, why why not? If not us, then who? Maybe. Sure. And in sure. fact, I mean, Brad always corrects me here. And, and, and it's not even an if. We will do it. I mean, he always he corrects me as well. And it, we will do it. it. It will be a biggest business in, 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 you know, in the world. 
Um, now, you spoke about, uh, you know, just some of the elements that, that, have, that have contributed to, to, to us being, you know, really giving that experience. Now, just to add on to the staff element, now we live in a very, very diverse society, right? You know, some of our biggest strengths actually is a diversity, but it's also our biggest challenge. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people recognize that. And, and how, do you, how do you manage that challenge in, in the workplace when there's so much at play? There's the, uh, the economic aspect of people trying to survive. There's the political aspect of, you know, ideologies fly, flying through your staff's head as well. And when people look at the business, you know, they look at, okay, Bradley. I mean, we're talking our South African society. Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> you know, they look at Brad. Brad is white. I'm black. Okay, lacquer. So at least they've got that representation at, at ownership level. But actually, actually, there's actually three of us. And, you know, there's Brad alone, first of all. And not only that, you know, we actually do have Muslim partners as well. But now let me take it a level further into the business. The strength that we have is that I can get through to some of our staff that are unable to see further than just mm. being a waiter. Um, that mm. are unable mm. to, see, to see further than, you know, having the title of a barista because, look, we, kind of, we come from the same background. You know, I grew up in Soweto. Like, I was raised by my grandmother. You know, typical kind of type, a type of background. Unfortunately, at the time, as a kid, didn't have my father in my life. You know, it took about, what, 36 years before, you know, he became active. And those are very common narratives. And once I speak to, and, and it's not just a narrow thing, but anybody in a similar position of leadership like myself, once they speak to their staff, it just, for whatever human reason, it just, you know, kind of sounds and they can kind of relate and listen a little bit more closely. Whereas when Bradley comes in, you know, we've already got now what? We've got the ideologies, we've got the politics, we've got everything right. else that goes outside the work, I mean, outside the business that affect that, that, that communication. And, and, and I guess my background, uh, you know, with recruitment and consulting and then kind of careers and empowerment of people in that space allows me to communicate it a bit better. Because being a waiter is not just being a waiter. You've said it, you've just said yeah. it yourself. If our staff are happy, genuinely, not just, you know, face smile and at the back, you know, people upset, the food tastes better. That's all energy. I know there's people that are about energy, what? It's all energy. And... If my barista understands that for them to be, you know, engaging, or even if they just reserve baristas and they're not necessarily the guys that kind of like speak out to customers, but for them to learn the skill of, of being a barista and possibly at some level, maybe going to a table and waitering. And you know what, for mm. them to be proactive mm. and say, listen, whoever's not feeling well, I'm actually gonna go help out in the kitchen if I'm allowed to. That's actually learning a skill. One yes. or two yes. or three or four of them may wanna actually have their businesses at some point in their lives. Now, if you've, got sure. the business, if you've got the skill of understanding what happens on the floor, you understand the product itself, you've seen what happens in the kitchen, you're so much of a better employee that can be considered for some type of employee schemes, for some type of growth in our plans as a business. Who do we want to head a shop or to partner with a potential investor, whatever the, however it may look in future? We would want people that understand the brand. And once you as an employer are able to make them see that, I'm not bringing you in just to be a waiter. Obviously, it all depends on the vision of the business. But there are possibilities. And if you, I cannot, I cannot give you an opportunity to be a supervisor or even a chef if you cannot master the one skill of being a barista, mm. of being on time, mm. of doing your stock take, of engaging your customers, of understanding that, yes, I may have personal problems at home, but actually it's not my customer's fault. Of understanding yeah, that sure. you know, when you walk in, it's your first cup of coffee, but it's actually my 400 and my customer doesn't know that. 
I have to make it like it's the first coffee. Mm. If, if, yeah. if you don't understand yeah. those basic principles and if us as employers cannot communicate them as clear enough, then you, you kind of do have that imbalance in the struggle for them to buy into your vision as, as a business. And the tragedy often in South Africa is that that experience, that those kinds of skills, that can't be bought. You, you don't learn that at a Damlin or at a Varsity or whatever. Like You only learn that in the working situation and in a specific kind of environment. So it really is a precious gift to gain that kind of experience. In that, I mean, I've often said, like, my son has to, as soon as he's able, go and wait tables somewhere. Yeah, I agree. Because you learn something in that environment that you just don't learn anywhere else around customer service, around the pressure of that kind of space, around your conduct, around initiative, all of those elements that you've spoken to. Yeah. So guys, I want to, I want to ask you, cause you, you mentioned this, I think now, um, and, and I want to get back to this point around there's a narrative and, and especially at the moment in South Africa about how difficult it is to start businesses and how difficult it is to find support for them and how there's so much that's working against us from an economic or cultural or political perspective. And what's really interesting about your story is, I mean, honestly, if Brad had come to me in 2015 and said, Mike, I'm thinking of starting a coffee business, I would have gone, eh. <laughs> but, you know, because like I've often subscribed to that sort of thing. And I, you know, I would have said, well, maybe start a software development business. Or uh, what I think is so great about your guy's story, and I think what we all have to hear and take to heart is that, Yes, this is a uniquely complicated and complex place that we love and hate and love, depending on the day, right? But because of that complexity, it produces a different type of business. If you succeed here, there is something about the DNA of your organization that is going to be different. There's a resilience, a level of creativity, which I think you were talking about now, that comes from diversity of thought, diversity of leadership, diversity of challenge, right? So Brad, like the question I guess I want to put to you as you build the biggest coffee business in the world is what is the thing that makes you different to the other brands? Um, what, it's simple. Yeah. Authenticity. Okay. And and that stems into a lot of a lot of different aspects of the business. But the first thing, and, and it goes into the, the black and white story, you know, a lot of companies today, uh, you know, have got a BEE face in the business, mm. okay? And, I mean, now and I have been having these conversations before we even started a business, you know, how, you know, it really doesn't do anybody that much good, you know, and it's, and it's sure. kind of an insult to be invited into a business as a face rather yeah. than, listen, you've got skills, uh, you happen to be of a certain race, uh, you know, here's a position. And it, it was never about that, you know? It's never been like that for us in terms of the, the, the relationship. Posturing or window dressing. Darren and I have yeah. been sitting, I mean, in class since grade eight. We sat next to each other almost throughout until matric. We've been talking about these things. I always knew that I could see that now got treated differently to me in the same school by the same teachers. You know, those things were real and we spoke about them. And, um, you know, it, it, it was quite refreshing. It gave me a different angle on things. I, I, I took that with me wherever I went. And I noticed that that wasn't, you know, the common sort of trait amongst people. People weren't having these open conversations with people of, of the other race. This is now back in, what, 1998? Yeah. <clears throat> four okay. years after, after Yeah, four 94. years after 94. And things are still not right, you know, yeah. today. But going back to your point, what is, what is going to make us succeed? This is what I see here. I see that the world is starved for, for truly excellent African brands. 
Okay, there's um, there's space for it. There's a lot of black consciousness coming around. You've got the the BLM. You've got you know not just and not necessarily just black. It's like people of color or people of minorities are really starting to take pride. You know, in 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 who they are and what they do. Okay, we you know so the rest of the world and um, we look to Europe, we look to America for our brands and our brand choices and what do we do? You know, and you start to look at what South Africans and I'm talking about like really high level because there are a lot of products that are that don't you know they're not of, of world-class standard but the ones that are they're not just world-class they're the best in the world i mean if you look at guys mm. like Mac mm. Macosa, mm. um and the fashion that he's doing it is phenomenal like you can just see black coffee you know he's a brand in himself those type of things the world is, is really starting to look at africa for for these brands and it's also because you know it gives people that are living or that have been displaced, you know, through centuries or whatever, it just gives them a touch point to go back home. Do you know, there's, there's just some sort of feeling, there's some sort of pride, let's support. And with that, I think we've created something that we can export. You know, it's something that, that people do want. Anybody, you know, when I've got a lot of people from different countries, you know, from my time overseas, they're looking back at our brand and saying, when is it coming to our country? Canada, <laughs> South Korea. The United States, there's been some real offers that we've gotten from, from people there. And mm, it just mm. goes back to the point that you asked me before. You know, it's all very well. I, I, I'm pretty sure we could get investors in all these countries to come and, yeah. you know, to do it. But yeah. then how are we going to, you know, how are we going to grow the brand? Is it going to be the same thing? So we're spending this time to develop exactly what we are so that there's no, yeah. you know, yeah. no guessing. And then we're going to push it through. But and no compromising. No, exactly. No compromising either. And we've got to get what yeah. it's worth. But the authenticity is the thing. I mean, the, 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 the reason that your waiters are happy at our stores is because they feel it. You know, we, yeah. the way that we do coffee, we're not pretending to be great. We've gone and sourced really good, high quality beans. You know, we've gone and we've got the speciality stuff that we've got sitting in our, in our hoppers. I can guarantee that there's no other coffee house in the country that has got that speciality grade. Yeah. I've gone and found it, okay, and, I, and, I've, yeah. and I've brokered a deal so that we can get small enough amounts so that it's, it's worth it for us uh, to sell it here. Nobody's doing that. You know, yeah. speciality coffee, yes, we're charging, we charge 65 rand a cup of coffee if you want the speciality stuff. You don't have to have it, but if you want it, it's there, and we sell out. So those are the things that we're doing differently, but it's because it comes from us, you know, one of the things early on in the business that we that that guy was a guide to us was if I walk into the shop and I don't feel like drinking my coffee, okay, we've got a problem. You know, that's yeah. a problem. Yeah. So it was, it was at a moment like that where we were like, okay, cool, we're gonna create the Nguni blend. Where it was like, okay, cool, let's try something else. And we got Nguni. Yes. Then what else do I want in the shop? What would I be looking for as a because we're coffee fanatics, you know? What am, what am sure. I looking for? Okay, I need a more pour over stuff or more speciality stuff. Or what can we add to go with the coffee? So it's all coming from, from us. It's authentic, you know. And I think yeah. at some point we'll be able to, to, to write that down as this is who we are and, and then duplicate that. You know, Brad talks about, I mean, when he first started, he spoke about, you know, obviously the element of, you know, black and white. And that's, that's uh, you know, South African thing. And it is actually worldly. You know, we have those, those dynamics. And then, you know, we linked authenticity. Now, the authenticity was so easy because we went to a diverse school, right? A school that actually accommodated everyone. 
in the time, four years after 94, school, you know, accommodated everyone. Yes, it had its challenges. I mean, there is actually spaces mm. like that are not perfect in the same way the country is not perfect. And it was very easy for that friendship to just, you know, just, just grow organically and have its ups and its downs. And here we are 23 years later. Now, this is where for me, which pulls a little bit away from, from, from what Brad had just said, but this is where the, I feel kind of like we shouldn't do our kids that disservice of not being in, in, in multicultural environments. Because mm. you then expect them 20 years down the line to then kind of slot in and represent mm. the country. Yeah. How does the country look? And then you're sitting across the table, somebody that you don't know, that you don't understand. They're just as human as you are. They have their ups and downs. But then we expect for those spaces to flourish. And that's what kind of like, all, you know, I always, you know, think about the special element that has come into this business, which is, you know, it's uniqueness and it's authenticity. Our relationships are all authentic. As organic as, as we met from Lani, our other partner, it's still authentic. I'm, I've been his friend now for the last five years, right? Hmm. So if, if there's anything that anyone can take away from our business that is not even, say, business related, is don't do your kids that disfavor of, of limiting the type of environment that they're in because we live in a diverse world. Yeah. Not yeah. even in a diverse in a diverse world, and if we're going to foster that, those pockets of love, of authenticity, of high quality, it has to come from you know foster it in their minds while they're still young. Because today, I now and Brad and and and, and, and partners have to sit with our with our, with our staff and and tell them that listen, boy, you 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 don't have to end off as just a waiter. You know, there's actually something called a supply chain, a value chain. And, and, and yeah, if, if there's a career path this, here. 100%. There's a career path. Yeah. You don't have to be stuck here. You, you, you'll be a brilliant barista, but I tell you what, you may actually be an even better Q grader, or you may be yeah. an even better, uh, you know, a, a person that works on the farm or actually travels and then identifies the different beans. There's actually a, a career path. Mm-hmm. And where does it all come from? The authenticity of our relationship and the vision that we have for, you know, Manaka. It's interesting because you can make a product or a business look African or look South African. You know, you slap an indebele pattern on something or you do it, but to make something African, you know, kind of intrinsically so that it has the DNA. And what's interesting about succeeding, like, and you've mentioned a couple of other brands that I think are good examples of that happening is when you feel it, it's very difficult to articulate exactly what it is, but it's a, it's desirable and B it's infectious. You want more of it. You like, it's almost, it's almost addictive, right? Because you, you can sense that there's something there that you can't manufacture, which is a really powerful thing. And I think is, I'm unafraid to say this is not a sponsored post. Um, <laughs> it is something that you guys have achieved, you know, so kudos to you. And I, and I, I, I wish nothing more for you than your ability to scale and continue to amplify that magic in, in everything that you do. Cause it's clearly there now. Yeah. You're so spot on Mike. Listen, I just want to tell you I mean, how your interpretation or your description now of, of that thing is just perfect. Like, yeah, sometimes cool. My check's in the post, but <laughs> no, but no, for real. Like, like you obviously, you know, you're exceptional at what you do. That's why you've had the success that you that, that you've had. But it's it's in it's in identifying things like that, right? That's where that's where brands live. It's not in the it's not in the posters. It's not mm-hmm. you know it's 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 not the 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 facade. 
You know, the brand yeah. is, is deeper than that. And, and you just hit on it perfectly there. It's, it's quite difficult to describe normally. Yeah, it's, it's something that somebody once said to me, great advice. They said, your brand is not what you tell your customer it is. It's what your customer is telling their friends it is, right? And that's the difference between the two things. And I yeah, think you guys have understood that uh, perfectly. So at the end of each of these shows, I ask a guest two questions, which I think are helpful questions for people who are listening. And instead of asking you both uh, both questions, what I want to do is split them up. So Brad, I'm going to start with you with the first question. If you could go back in time to... 1998, 18 years old. I think we're the same age. Are we the same age? Um, I'm 36. How old were you in 98? 98, I was 13, 14. 14. Yeah. Oh, okay. We're not the same age then. All right, good. If you could go back to 18-year-old you, okay. <laughs> let me not give away my age. Um, what, what single piece of advice would you give 18-year-old Brad if you could go back in time and speak to him? You know, what I, if I could go back in time, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't take away the party years. Okay, I would say enjoy those years, but shorten them a little bit. I would have got started on on creating something a lot earlier in my life, maybe maybe from the age of 25. So I only got into this at 32, 32, 33. And had I been mm -hmm. able to start it at 25, I just think it would have given me more energy to trade, you know, because that's yeah. what I found business is. It's like you're taking the energy that you've got and you're turning it into something that is hopefully going to support you later. Right? Yeah. Like and I suppose those lessons are cheaper to learn at a younger age. Exactly. So yeah, there's that benefit as exactly. well. Yeah. But, but that being said, I mean, it's almost impossible for me to have gotten there at that age because of the experience sure. that I needed to get to at 32. Sure. You know? That sure. would be it though. Nao, my question for you is um, if you could prescribe a book that should go into the schooling system and be something that every kid growing up in South Africa should read, <laughs> what book would it be and why? And, and, and he says a book because that's brilliant because I didn't, I didn't even finish my English novels in, in grade 10. So he just moved <laughs> again. Tell us which book, Wiki. Well, I tell you what. Um, honestly, I think, you know, some of the books that, that I've read are more political than anything else. And the one that has kind of struck me is the, the Super Africanos, right? The Africano Blue mm -hmm. and And the reason yes, why yes. it struck me is because I... And as much as a lot that has been done in that period of Bruderbond and, and it being an overlay and, and, and the system of apartheid, there's, there's a lot that I feel that, you know, I learned. And there's a lot that I think that the political system can learn. And not from a point of, now, I, I don't want to focus on the negative, which is the oppression and, and sure. focusing on only, you know, specific, uh, say, communities. But just, yes. you, know, you know, when you have a, a genuine and authentic vision, when you have, when it's genuine, and I, I don't, I want, I want under, underline that genuine part. If you, if, if the vision is genuine and the will is actually innocent and 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 thorough, you can achieve. We can turn it around. We can, we can turn 100%. it around. And the common thread we've mentioned in this very interview is is, is the authenticity. And if that was yeah. trickle upwards, right? Because we'll do what we can do downwards. We can do it. But if it, were to, if it was to kind of trickle upwards, I think we would definitely replicate a lot of uh, businesses like ours, a lot of friendships like ours. And, and yeah, look, read it. Some of you won't get into business, but some of you will kind of have the, the view and outlook of, of what it means to be organized, what it means to actually be genuine. And uh, hopefully, you know, it can change your, your approach to, to whatever that you're experiencing in life. Gentlemen, as a, as a fan and as a friend and as a South African, I'm just really grateful for the work you're doing. I know it's been hard work. I know it always looks 
like it's easy on the outside, but I, I know the background is just nonstop slog, sweat and tears. The fact that you guys have paid that price to create a space that brings us a beautifully South African and uniquely South African product, but also it gives hundreds of people opportunities for work. And I can only imagine where it's going to go to from here. Just, I'm really grateful and I want to wish you guys the best of luck for the future. I think it's going to go from strength to strength. So thanks for taking the time and thanks for the work you do. Thanks, Mike. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. This platform itself is going to just echo this, this session, which I think a lot of people yeah. will learn from. So, so the work that yeah. you're doing shouldn't be asked. Lucky, yes. Thank you. Cool. We'll chat to you soon. See you at the store. You've been listening to the One-Eyed Man podcast. I'm Mike Stopforth, an entrepreneur, writer, and public speaker, deeply curious about discovering better ways to lead and better ways to live in an increasingly complex world. I find the best source of these ideas is the experience and wisdom of interesting people who are taking unconventional approaches to solving the world's most compelling problems. If you'd like to hear from someone I haven't yet spoken to, visit MikeStopforth.com click on the podcast link and send through your suggestions. A big thanks to the Solid Gold Podcast Studios in Johannesburg, South Africa for making this production possible. And remember, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man slash person is king. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.